This is Inside Marketing, brought to you by Dentsu Aegis Network and Irish Times Media Solutions. Hello and welcome to Inside Marketing. This week, we are not going to talk about a specific topic. We're going to go slightly broader and we're going to talk about strategy in the whole area of strategy. I'm joined today by Julian Cole, who is a strategy consultant and he also runs the Planning Dirty Academy. Welcome, Julian. Thanks for having me on. No problem. Thank you so much for joining me today. Um, first things first, we chatted a bit off air about how you keep and generally has business in these difficult times and your, your sanity. How are you keeping? I'm doing all right. I'm making it through, I think. Excited. I can, hopefully seeing the finish line. I'm down in Melbourne at the moment. And there's our big day is this Sunday. The Premier is going to announce his new kind of easing of restrictions. So fingers crossed that uh, we'll be let outside and see a bit of sun. Yeah, well, I wish you all the best with that. And we were chatting off air and, you know, I know the goal is is five cases. So that's good. We're in the thousands. So um, relatively speaking, we are a disaster at the moment. But anyway, we'll move on. And as I say, we're going to talk about strategy generally. And I think first and foremost, because it's what I do as well. One of the things that's quite daunting for people about strategy or confusing maybe is better is that it just means so many different things to different people because when we think about it, like strategy, there's a strategy in everything really. And there's so many different definitions of strategy. When you work in a particular discipline, you mentally go to that definition. You think all things are that. So like there's business strategy, digital strategy, uh, communication strategy, media strategy, creative strategy. Like there's literally strategy in every discipline. So sometimes there can be a little bit of cross wires and people can't really articulate what they mean by strategy quite clearly. So let's just kick off with a bit of context. Give me the Julian Cole definition of strategy. What does that mean to you? It's a great question because this is something I was had strategy in my title and still didn't really have a clear articulation for a long time. But the way I see it now is it's a coherent plan on how to overcome an obstacle with the limited resources that you have at hand. And so here, there's kind of a couple of pieces in here. I think for me, the big thing is like limited resources. Mm -hmm. You can't be sky, you know, big sky thinking that's um, not tethered to reality of like what your budget is or what you can actually do with time. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it has to be related to what you actually can do. And then it's a coherent plan to me as well. Um, It needs to be something that everyone understands and can get behind because you're trying to all go in the one direction. Mm. I think there's three kind of steps there that I see. And this comes from uh, a great book called Good Strategy, Bad Strategy. And they talk about the three steps of strategies, the diagnosis. So it's doing the research, understanding what the problem is, And then it's coming up with a guiding policy, which is how you're going to go about it, and then having the coherent actions to actually go and execute. So when we talk about advertising and specifically creative advertising that I'm in, I look at the diagnosis being the brief and doing Mm. all the work to get to the creative brief. The guiding policy to me is the creative idea, Mm. which hangs all the work together. And then the coherent actions are the campaign and the plans around that campaign. So they're they're kind of the three steps that I see and and hopefully articulates what strategy is. Yeah, no, yeah, it makes sense to me. I found that myself when people say, what exactly, particularly people outside the industry, what exactly do you do? And then I'd explain it and then they say, 
How, how does that keep you so busy all day? Like you're working on pitches, you're working day and night for weeks and weeks and weeks and Saturday and Sunday. Like, what? it doesn't sound that difficult. And I go, yeah, I don't know. I can't, can't explain how it is. And I, I mentioned the Planning Dirty Academy and we'll get into that in a little bit more detail later on. But within that, you talk about a concept that's called the Big T uh, Planner or Big T Planning. And I'm aware somewhat of the traditional type of T planning. So which at its basis requires like a broad depth of general specialism or knowledge across different areas, but then a deep specialism within kind of planning or comms planning. So, but in the Planning Dirty Academy, you've evolved that slightly. So can you clarify what big T planning is and how it's an evolution on the traditional T planning? Yeah, so it actually came about when I was at BBDO and I I had kind of a, I'd say it's a horrible day. And what happened on that day is, a brand strategist who I worked with, he was brand strategy director, an older guy who was the smartest strategist that I've ever worked with. I was learning so much off him in terms of brand strategy. He got kind of pushed off the uh, account and out of the agency on uh, that day. And that was kind of a bit of a kick in the guts to me because Mm. he was the smartest guy in the agency and they were pushing him out because he didn't have a great relationship with creatives and the account team. Mm. And I thought, you can be as good as at your job and this is going to happen. And then on the very same day, one of the youngest directors who was in my team, uh, she had just got a promotion. Uh, we had just promoted her, given her a raise in money. And she was going, she said, unfortunately, Julian, I've just got another raise in money and I'm going to kind of a competitor agency, mm-hmm. RGA, and they've offered me almost double what we had. Mm-hmm. And here was this young gun who was just absolutely blitzing it. And what I realized was it was a bit of a hard day because there were two great people from my team that I was losing on one day. And I was reflecting on that and I realized it were two people at different stages of their career, mm-hmm. both amazing people and both who you'd say a great T-shaped strategist. You know, the older guy was amazing brand strategist, went really deep on that and brought across everything else. And the young gun had that skill set as well. But what I realized was the difference was she had three extra skills, which I think the other strategists didn't have. And they help you get into the top of strategy leadership. And they were the skills of diplomacy. And I think in any organization, especially creative agencies, there is going to be politics. Mm. And understanding how to navigate those politics is key. So that is the first pillar on top of the T shape. So you need your T shape, these skills on top. The second one was management. Can you elevate the team? You can be a great strategist by yourself, but can you bring out the best from others? So that's really teaching them and bring that out. And then the third is being able to sell strategy. As a discipline, we're quite new in strategies. Strategy's only been around in advertising for 50 to 60 years. So we're not always given a seat at the table. So you really have to fight for Mm. it and show the value of strategy. And so you need people who can sell, especially at that very top end of strategy leadership. So that's what I talk about with the big T and I teach in the academy is not only the T-shape, but those yeah. extra skills on top. Yeah, and, and we'll talk about the academy later on because it's and you do some great, great things there. I actually think a couple of Irish people have been on that that I've seen on, and endorse you online. Um, the whole area of the generalist and the special is quite an interesting space because I'd say the industry has evolved, as you say, the strategy department and strategy is quite a new thing. And, and it, neither way is without issues, whether you're a generalist or a specialist. But when I started, there was in a media agency, like there was no strategy people specifically. It was responsible for their own planning and strategy. And then as the industry 
Now, the industry was relatively by the seat of its pants and maybe unprofessional at the time. It was very haphazard, but things got done and that was just the way it was. Now, as we get more professional, we see more departmentalization. And one of the dangers that certainly I found with strategy or any function really is that it can become an island unto itself. And what I mean by that is that sometimes some teams, not not all the teams, but some people see, oh, there's a strategy function. I'm going to outsource the strategy to them and you know not be involved in it. But also then what I found sometimes is that it's hard for that strategy department or strategy team to stay wedded to the day-to-day clients because you're kind of jumping around from one thing to the next and and you tend to go to the squeakiest wheel is the way it happens. So there's good and bads to everything, but you know, how do you make sure that in, in any agency you've worked or anything that you do, that strategy is really connected into the wider business and that is connected into clients and it doesn't become this kind of siloed off department somewhere that kind of floats around and has to keep knocking on doors and saying, hey guys, can don't forget to get us involved. How do you do that? I think there's a couple of things. I think you need that strong relationship with the clients and getting, I, I tell all of the strategists that have worked for me, I'm like, you want to get to almost the text level, text messages with the client. That's the relationship that you want to have. And the account people are usually open, hopefully are open to that because you're improving the quality of the work across mm. the department. Now, the thing is, is that I've definitely been places where strategists have said, I feel like I'm getting left out of meetings. Yeah. And I think the key thing for me there is that you've got to focus on the outputs and what you're actually creating. So one of the best things is the creative brief and strategy is so interlinked because it's a clear output for account people and even a client to understand what value you're bringing in. And it kind of brings us back to that original point of, I actually don't know what the hell a strategist does. Mm. Have clear outputs that is always going to help you in your job. So for me, I was bringing comms planning into agencies that hadn't had communications planning. So I made sure that there was clear outputs. There was a comms framework. There was an ecosystem and blueprint. And every account team knew that that's what they were going to get, those outputs. Mm. So I really focus on the outputs rather than this nebulous thing called strategy. Mm. Yeah, I remember it has changed quite a lot. Like my media agency background and yeah, that job when you started was, as I said, there was no strategy person, but you would do what was called a rationale, which was kind of a strategy saying like, why did we decide to do what we're doing? And then as the agency and the landscape evolved a little bit, the role, I remember the title, I remember someone said to me one day, oh, we're, I think you're more of a, a comms strategy person. And I didn't know what that meant and I didn't know the difference between, I just don't know what the difference is. But then it evolved, it evolved. And it's quite, it's very complex and very complicated, the media ecosystem now. So within the different roles of, of strategy, I guess the brand strategist definitely sits within the creative agency. That's where that, that role, that function best sits. But then there seems to be a bit of a bun fight for who controls the, the next level down, if you will, so, or the kind of partner, the adjunct strategy in that one, which would be the communications strategist. So we just want to get your view with so many different agencies. I've been at meetings where there's six different agencies represented on a client and everyone's kind of smiling and looking and going, oh, yeah, no, but we're all fighting for the budget underneath the table and kicking each other. So where do you see the communication strategist role sit best? At, in what agency do you think it should sit? I think, again, this is something with the naming title that has made it really hard to work out. I often had to change my title from being comms planner to something else, a creative strategist or an integrated strategist. I'll talk about what I know as like the comms planning that I was doing. Mm-hmm. So it really started... Um, If we go back to the start, the 90s, that's when we had the divorce from media and creative. It didn't used to be this way. Like We used to be together. That's where the divorce happened. 
And I think what we realized was when, especially around the time of mid-2000s, when there started to be a proliferation of channels, so many more things that Mm. you could do with digital and social, it became more complex. And the creatives couldn't just work in the uh, formats that they were used to, maybe like 30-second scripts. They knew how to do billboards. They knew Mm. how to write a record script. There were all these new media platforms that they needed to know and understand and understand how you kind of connect all those pieces together. And that's when communications planning within the creative agency really took hold. The idea of helping the creatives navigate and put all these pieces together and build campaigns Mm. where it really kind of took off. And I think I would say 2008 to kind of 2014, Comms planning was growing a lot in creative agencies. And I think it actually has an ebb and flow. So as the internet has now kind of more simple than it was eight years ago, because you've got four major players, Amazon, Mm. Facebook, you know, Google. (laughs) And so it's much easier and the creatives are kind of catching up. So they don't need that extra support of a person who's kind of helping integrate and put all the pieces together. So the role of comms planner might actually reduce Mm. out of a creative agency. But I know that that's not how communications planning, that's one side of it, integrating the whole campaign and being that connective tissue mm-hmm. and putting all the pieces together and bringing in media thoughts, being the ambassador for the media agency in the creative agency. That's how I always saw myself. Mm-hmm. I know that that's not always what media uh, comms planning is in a media agency. And the titles can often trip people up. Yeah, titles are we we for such a small industry we love to complicate things with, with titles, but um, it's part of this. It's the creative gene in us that we that we do. This. We find creative solutions for people on strategy generally. Just to chat about that, and I, I've heard you speak before things, and and it's quite often like the simplest ideas are always the best. It's not a strategy thing; it's a universal truth. I think simple things are often the best, and if you're trying too hard to explain things, probably not a great strategy. And similarly, when when I've been working on strategy, and I might have a kind of nice articulation of something and I'm wedded to it, but ideas aren't falling out of it. So I find that, and I always advise people and say, if you're not getting ideas quickly out of your strategy, if it's kind of brainstorms or, you know, everyone looking at each other and and very unproductive, it's probably worth revisiting your strategy. Now, there's loads of processes and frameworks. Do you have any simple frameworks, ways of thinking that you use, like the ones like the get to by, get X to, do Y by, doing whatever we do, our strategy? What frameworks do you use? Yeah, so the get who to buys probably the one that I like the most for a creative brief. So I'll talk about that first because I think some people often get this wrong too. So the whole difference between a marketing brief and a creative brief, a get who to buy, is you're going from um, the client's problems and the marketing problems and the business problems to translating that to the human problems and really trying to work out what that is. So when we put a get who to buy together, it's like the get is the target audience. Mm-hmm. The who is the consumer problem, not the marketing problem. There's never like increase awareness by 25%. That's yeah. not being seen in that brief. Um, then the two is the goal. And then the buy is the single-minded proposition. What is the one message that we're going to say that will really get people over the line? Mm-hmm. And so that construction is the focus. And that's where I want all the planners that I work with to get that format correct. So that's one piece of the pie. Um, The next piece is communications frameworks, which is 
there's not just one message that we can say, like people go through different parts of a relationship with a brand. Mm -hmm. So there's three major kind of moments that you interact with someone, which I I call like living, looking, buying. So living is when they're going about their everyday life. They don't care about your brand. It's not coming up. So say, just looking at my desk, say a, a bottle of water. No one cares about a bottle of water when they're not thirsty. So how do you have a message that makes sense there? So we always look for like the bigger emotional benefit. What's the need state that we want to remind them of? So that's the message that we have there. So there's a single message and that usually is what the get who to buy yeah. is linking to. Then when they're in the looking phase, which is they're thinking about a thirst or quenching their thirst, there's a different message that we have there. And then in the buying, when they're actually at the store and they're about to grab a bottle, there's a message that we have there. So that is the living, looking, buying, like comms framework. And I, I work around that as well. And then the final one is the blueprint, which is a document that I create, which is to do with the creative production dollars. So what I noticed when I was working in creative agencies, I would often be doing the more innovative work and the integrated work, which was the digital and social stuff. And clients would ask for that, but they would never actually buy the work. They'd say, oh, we'll find money. You just show us that you're not yeah. the TV agency, that you can do all this interesting stuff. Mm-hmm. And the uh, money just never came, just never showed. And I had amazing creatives that I worked with. And what I realized was if you talk about money too far down the track, um, when you've got into production and after the first big piece of work has been bought, you're not going to sell any mm-hmm. extra work. And so what you need to do is actually carve up your creative production dollars before you've actually landed on your creative idea. And the way I do that is I kind of mirror the media plan right. and then work out what other channels are too. But that's working and bringing producers way further up in the process. Mm-hmm. And at first... Clients don't understand why I would do that. But what it does is really safeguard against the work that needs to be made and safeguards money so we can do that innovative work that they're asking uh, for us. And also stops from the, you've probably seen this, the buffet of creative ideas. Mm -hmm. You know, you come to the client and there's 36 ideas and they've only got money to buy like a TV ad and Facebook and so is that when you talk about, you said at the start, that additional layer on top of the tea planning that makes it big tea and, the, and that ability to sell in, is that kind of what you mean by that? Or is there a lot more to it than that? So I was wondering, like, how do you go about, you say that hey, we're not great at selling things in sometimes. How do you go about convincing a CFO or whoever you're, you're presenting to that, you know, to buy this off you? Is that part of the process that you use this breaking up the product, the creative budget into different chunks and kind of introducing it slightly earlier? Are there other tricks involved in selling or or what do you talk about in your academy? Yeah, I think that that really helps. Um, so with selling strategy, I think it's twofold. So when it's in the big T, it's more about how do you make sure that strategy is on the scope? So the client values it, the account team have properly scoped strategy. Then I think that's one side of it. But the other side of like, How do you make sure we sell creative ideas that we make? There's a lot that I've kind of learned through the years about that. So another model that I use is I never present like an innovative idea without taking it through what I call like the Rick James model. So Rick James, amazing man at selling. He sold pop funk music to Motown, just amazing. And so what I do is use the acronym of Rick 
R-I-C-K, with all innovative work we sell. So anytime we sold a piece of work, it would always have the role, the mm-hmm. idea, the cost, and then the key performance indicators, the KPIs. Yeah. And we'd present every time that way. And you just have a better ratio of actually selling work in that way. So I learned that. There was another interesting thing that I learned around when I was started at BBH in New York. I was there for two years and didn't make a single piece of work. And that was excruciating because I'm used to Mm. making 14 campaigns a year to go to zero. So I started looking in all these weird areas and I started analyzing like timesheet data. And I actually found a really interesting insight, which was all the campaigns that we sold were getting sold between 80 to 120 days of going live. And what was happening was the production budget, the production timelines were actually driving the client to make a decision. Right. And so that completely changed the way we thought about the creative development process because we always thought we didn't have enough time. Mm. Where actually sometimes we had too much time. We're wasting creative rounds, mm. um, creative energy on the like most senior teams who got burnt out before we got into the golden window. So there was mm. some interesting things there from a finance perspective for an agency of how can you run more efficiently, maybe hold it in strategy, which is cheaper than in creative. Yeah, Yeah, it's really interesting. You referenced a a book earlier on, which is Good Strategy, Bad Strategy. And one of the things I talk about when I'm doing training for people is that like rarely that there's something, a strategy is inherently good or bad, which is kind of an interesting thought. Like rarely is a strategy wrong. Particularly when you're talking about agency people doing it, any decent agency, unless they're complete idiots, are not going to do a wrong strategy. So, and there's this thought, which is the opposite of a, of a good strategy can be another good strategy. Um, so strategy, when I'm talking to people is, and this is a bit that's kind of a bit, I don't know, off-putting for people because there's loads of different directions you can go. None are right, none are inherently wrong. And you talk about the start because strategy is about the limit of resources that we have. So you're trying to pick a least wrong direction when you've lots of available options to you. Um, so I think that, and as a strategy person, part of the problems we have is that like often the enemy of good strategy is time. You don't have enough time to think about it. So one of the things which I try and tell people, it's easy to say and it's hard to do, is like really think about the brief at the start because we want to get going on it. This thing we, we want to do, I think we're so obsessed as a culture and, and a world with doing or, you know, fail fast, get going, you know, keep going, go as quick as you can. We want to get started on it. And quite often without doing the work, I know I'm guilty of it myself. I start to jump to a solution. But doing strategy properly is about not rushing in. It's about, you know, going against your every fiber of, w- of what you want to do and taking time to think about it. But it's about keeping open to new perspectives and, and fresh thinking. So how do you make time? Do you have any processes? How do you make sure that, because um, you're not really working in an agency, well, you're not now anyway. So how do you mm. fill your mind and keep open to fresh ideas and not do stuff so you can spend time, you know, being open to new perspectives? Have you any advice or processes? Yeah, I think I love your point also about there not being one strategy. Like I I, I feel like a lot of strategists feel like there's only one right answer to this mm. problem. You need to get to the one mm. right answer, which is just not the case. What I do is really, I think the biggest advantage to me and, and how I've kept myself kind of sharp, I think is by teaching. Because Mm -hmm. if you've got to teach something, you really got to back yourself in and understand what you're teaching. And so I feel like my growth as a strategist has been directly correlated to actually having to teach people and get in front of um, my words and really back myself. And Mm -hmm. so that has, I think, helped me grow as a strategist and really taking in a lot of different people's ideas. 
the thing about strategy is it's so subjective. There are so mm. many models and there's not one right model. You've just got to understand the toolbox that you've got to deal with. Mm. Like maybe one day it will be the get who to buy. The next day you'll be using benefit ladders. Mm. Another day you'll be using, you know, brand archetypes. And you need to be open and understand the strengths and weaknesses of each tool. Yeah, that's a really good point about teaching because I find this, I think, with, with this podcast and, and two levels, I started off and, you know, sometimes when I'm busy, I'm, I'm like, what's the point of doing this? Like, you know, because the marketing community is really small in Ireland. Like, is it worth the effort to raise our profile? But then when I actually think about it from, from my own point of view, if I have, like, if I'm talking to you, for example, or anybody, I have to do a bit of research on that. If I'm talking about a topic that I may not know a lot about, I got a tool up on that topic. And then I learned from talking to those people. And anytime I've got people on, particularly from, from in our company who didn't want to do it, put it, they really enjoyed it at the end of it. So that kind of, well, I've got forced learning um, really does, you know, you have to scale up on it. But yeah, it's a really good point, actually. So now I feel better about the podcast now. So thanks. Thanks for that. Um, <laughs> Let's step away from strategy for a moment. Um, what do you see as being some of the big challenges for agencies and marketing generally in the next 12 to 18 months? I'd say the recession. So it's going to hit pretty hard. And I think that it's going to really slim out a lot of agencies and, and working out what is your proposition going into a recession is kind of key to me. So for the bigger agencies, is it the one size fits all and you're kind of playing the economies of scale game? Or are you kind of the smaller agency who can do things cheaper, nimbler? Mm. That is going to be the big piece. I think also whenever we go into a recession, creativity can be under attack. Uh, yeah. You know, people want to play it a little bit safer. So we're not going to maybe see as much ambitious work. I did a report um, on the most innovative advertising in the last recession in 2008, especially in America. So looking at how people overcame those barriers of having to talk about value sales all the time mm -hmm. and how do you build that in plus with brand campaigns as well. So I think the recession is going to be super hard. How, how deep we go, it's kind of, I thought we would be there already at mm. least in America and Australia. I thought we'd be much deeper in it uh, by now, but it's coming. And that's also for people's jobs at all levels um, there's not much security, uh, mm. especially since they're, they're often the first to feel the pinch and yeah. be let go. Yeah, yeah. We're in such uncharted waters at the moment and that and I sometimes I forget, I said a pitch a couple of weeks ago, what we can look forward to, the light at the end of this tunnel is the start of our recession. Like when we get into that, we'll start to feel good about it. And we've had a lot of notice that the recession is coming. So, but yeah, I'm hoping it's not not V-shape, U-shape. It depends. I don't know. Just hope it's not as bad as as we've the re-forecast on the, on the budget. We had our budget last week, in our, two weeks ago in Ireland. And the, the re-forecast isn't that bad. So I'm naively optimistic, I, th I think is the best way to describe it. We're going to talk about your career in a second, but just one last question about collaboration. There's agencies and specialist agencies for everything now. And, and like, I'm a specialist agency, but that's complicated for clients. Clients want collaboration. They want simplification. They don't want the, the kind of um, politics of multiple agencies involved. And as an agency person on a roster, we all smile, as I said, at the meeting. And we all, we all oh yeah, we're all super collaborative. We all work. And we, we kind of don't really work that collaboratively, although that's what clients want. Sometimes we don't, some clients we do. Do you take the lead role in that? How do you foster a kind of culture of collaboration between multiple different agency partners? Is there any tips for people who are kind of listening or in that space at the moment, just struggling to collaborate? Have you any advice? 
Yeah, I like sideways diplomacy is one of the hardest. I think for clients, they need to understand that they need to be in charge or they need one person leading mm-hmm. that. The kind of integrated model where a different person is leading or there's no leader in it mm-hmm. and work between yourselves, the Kumbaya model, doesn't work. It just mm-hmm. doesn't work. Now, in more established relationships between creative and media agencies, uh, I think there's definitely a lot we you can do here. And I've been able to see that some of the best comms planners who've been in my team have really shown me how have kind of led me to that. And that's about like really striking up a strong relationship because for creative agencies, a lot of the best briefs that we've got have come through media agencies. Mm. So when I was working on Bacardi, the briefs that we got, we had, we're in BBDO and our sister agency was OMD and we were kind of fighting a lot between Mm. those agencies. And you should be working quite closely between those two media and creative agencies in the same holding group, but we weren't. And it was a comms planner who was like, no, I'm not having this. I'm going to have a better relationship. And he started going down there and sitting in the media agency one day a week, he started opening up the plans. He had like them on a text group thread. And so when briefs opened up, he was like, hey, we've got this, the media agency, we're like, we're pitching uh, mm. added value. Spotify's giving us added value. Do you want to bring some creatives in the room for it? Mm. That opened up the door, but you've got to have that collaborative relationship uh, from the beginning. And I think it's really key. The other thing is having, uh, this sounds really simple, but starting off and kicking off with a glossary of terms is really key. We talked about it before, like comms planning, like mm. means so many different things in different agencies. And so having a clear articulation of what is an idea, what is an insight, what is a comms framework, what is mm. a barrier, and agreeing on that with the media, the client, and the creative agency just helps so much when you can speak the same language. Because that's where, when I look back at my career, that is where I had the biggest stuff ups mm. when I'd be butting heads with a media planner, media comms planner. Mm. And we were saying completely different things, but we got tripped on our own words. Yeah. Yeah. And quite often, like we all have slightly different frameworks and ways of doing things and just different languages and things. So, you know, I even know one of the clients like Diageo, for example, where the creative agency would have done all that brand planning work and then the media agency. And the simplest thing to do would be just to say, we're going to take that creative idea and distribute that in media and not do 45 slides at the start about strategic thinking and stuff like that. But we just feel we have to do it. And then we get to a, a comms platform. And I'd say at the end of the day, because they've got the PR agency and the digital agency, they must be stuck with about seven or eight different platforms and seven or eight different roles for comms. And it's just massively confusing. So, um, but it's hard to work. I mean, it's much much harder to work collaboratively when you are not from the same holding company. I think. I'm going to chat about you for a few minutes. Give me your background. How did you end up where you are today? And what was your career path? How did you get in Melbourne today? Sit in your apartment, a very successful strategist. Yeah. So I started out originally from Melbourne. I started out at university doing like a psychology management marketing degree. And in 2007, I did a honours thesis on the uses and gratifications of Facebook. It actually started, the start of the year, it was MySpace, but it was the year when it kind of transitioned over. So it was Facebook by the end of the year. But it was the first um, thesis on social media and social networks. And so after that, I went and uh, worked at the first social agency, started, found, helped found the st- first social agency in Australia called The Population. Mm-hmm. A bit before its time, it kind of had a two-year run and it was over. Right. 
and then worked at a digital production company after that and helped them build out their digital and social. After that, I made the move over to New York. So I really wanted to work in America. It had always been a dream. So made the move over there and was leading a digital strategy team there, guiding the the work there. And then I went up to kind of head of comms planning for that group and helped launch the PlayStation and was the comms planner on that. So helped relaunch that, the PlayStation 4, which was a massive, uh, probably a milestone in my career, helped that brand kind of take over Xbox again Mm. and launched Greatness Awaits, which is now their campaign there. Mm. After that, I went on to uh, BBDO, which was a much bigger agency. So BBH New York was about 150 people and then BBDO was 850. So went over there and led the communications planning department there as well, which was 17 comms planners who worked across multiple um, campaigns. And so did that. And then the last two years, I kind of had a sabbatical in 2018, took a year off. And then the last two years, I've been a strategy consultant. I was in New York, but COVID hit me and I didn't have health insurance. So I made the move back to Melbourne, the safety of uh, the homeland. Yeah. So there's security and safety, like this is the tension between being the strategy consultant and doing your own thing and working for yourself and all the the things that go with that balance against the the security of regular paychecks and having to pay bills. How's the business going? How's the the academy planning dirty academy? How's it going? Has it um how long is it going? Have you found it? Are you busy? Is it good? Bluntly, are you happy? Did you do the right thing? If you could look back now two years, would you still have said, no, I'm gonna go out and do this, gonna be a consultant on my own? Would you still make that decision? Yeah, I'm loving it so far. So I feel like I'm having a bigger impact than I've ever had before. So the academy's been going for a year. So I've, no, I've always naturally, like I had a newsletter as well, which I still run. I've always been kind of teaching. As I said mm. before, it's helped me get better at my craft. So it was a real natural progression. I taught courses before. And so I started a year ago uh, with the academy and I would just put out a new video every week teaching a new part of the discipline. And then about three months ago, I did a survey of the um, academy members. So there was about uh, 600 members in Mm. the academy at that stage. And I asked them, hey, what do you think of the academy? Everyone's like, it's great, amazing, so much great content, but we need a structure to it. There's no structure. It's just your mad thoughts kind of coming out of your brain. And so the last three months has been really working on what is the skill sets that strategists need. And that's where I kind of really cracked the big T. Yeah. And I've started to create modules around all the different parts of strategy. Mm-hmm. So there's 11 modules go through research, advertising effectiveness, comms planning, business strategy, brand strategy, and then those key skills on top of diplomacy management and selling strategy. Mm-hmm. And I've taught that. And it's been great. It's amazing. So it's its its own model. People can sign up. So now I've changed the model as well. It used to be a membership model, so mm-hmm. month to month. But I started getting very anxious because I was like, oh, I've got to put something up every new month. And I wasn't investing enough time in the topics and going deep enough. Hmm. And so now I've changed to a one-off lifetime model. So for $997, you get access to this for life um, and all the content in there. So I've got courses coming up on freelancing, going deeper on business strategy, Hmm. um, some of the kind of key strategy frameworks as well and going into more detail on that. So it's been fantastic. I love it. People are signing up and still loving it. So 
that's always kind of my metric of success. Yeah, I totally empathize with you in your point about what started off as the kind of digital repository for brain dumps of a strategist, which is often disorganized at the best of times. But you had to, I suppose, you know, turn that into a curriculum if you were going to put proper structure behind it and get people to pay in it. I, I guess one of the good things about COVID is that one of the key areas of growth and where we'll think about things differently is learning. So the idea of you know, now it would seem perfectly natural. I think people like people in Ireland will, will be listening to this and go, oh, I'd like to, you know, sign up for this. That The remote learning thing may actually really work for you because you're not limited to geographical proximity. So, but I'm glad to hear it's going well. And you're doing the strategy consultancy bit for clients. It's not like you're just academic now at the moment. You're still a professional. Yeah, so still working with clients. So um, most of my clients are out of America. So working with Uber, Facebook, um, Snapchat, Gallo Wine, so a lot of the American companies mm. um, still working with them, and that's been great. They've, as you said, remote learning. Mm. They're much more open to it now, and I think the beauty of the remote learning is you get access to people you wouldn't have access yeah. to before. So, for me, my impact at BBDO and how I could help people was limited to the mm. seventeen people in my team. When now having 600 people in the academy, I can help elevate so yeah. many more people or at least help. That's yeah. what what the aim is. And it's a pretty good deal. $997 for lifetime membership. Um, so yeah, it's a good investment in yourself if you're listening in and kind of want to grow as a strategist. Um, a question that just came to me there. So it, because you're a consultant, clients have no problem bringing in consultants and paying for strategy. When you're in the agency, like this thing about strategy, strategy sometimes comes in and out of favor, possibly with the growth of digital channels, again, more from the sharp end of campaign execution. I think technology circumvented strategy and context and planning and the ability to just buy this audience. You know, we got media agencies got completely bogged down and, and super excited about technology. But Strategy comes in and out of favor. When you're at an agency, um, did you find that strategy was valued, undervalued? Do you find it difficult to get clients to pay for and value strategic thinking when you're in an agency? Yeah, I think so, especially if they're not used to paying for strategists before or haven't seen the value yet on their piece of work. There's some people and clients who know the value and you don't have to sell them on it. And I think the other thing is, even within the agency, it's sometimes hard for people to understand the amount of investment and time that goes into creating a strategy. So I, I often see that a lot of strategists are burnt out because they're not properly scoped. Mm. And that was the biggest learning for me is running a department is scoping is what you live and die by and defending that scope is key. And to me, there's two ways you look at scoping. You do top-down scoping, which is retainer comes in, project comes in, and there's a certain percentage that will go to strategy, usually 8 to 25%. So that's one way to do it. And then the other way to look at scoping is doing bottom-up scoping, which is going and like listing out the outputs that you create, like a creative brief, then listing out all the jobs that you need to do and then the hours that that will take. And a lot of, um, it's actually a really important exercise and something I didn't do at the start of my career, but doing now, did it towards the later part when I was running departments because account people, they know account management and how much hours that takes. So mm -hmm. they often over-index the amount of hours in their own department, but they don't understand what a strategist does. So they mm -hmm. often under-allocate the hours for a strategist. 
So being able to take them through a bottom-up plan of saying, here's all the hours, Mm -hmm. helps so much. And that's been helping with conversations with procurement and also clients as well. Yeah, I think it's a good point about that. Again, it goes back to the strategy function not being siloed um, within the business. When we think about, you know, just a couple of things we've touched on today about this this idea about having the T-shape, if you will, the big T-shape. When you think about recruitment, if you are hiring somebody in or hiring somebody to work with you and your team, do you think, and it was a, a junior, kind of a, a graduate position or a relatively inexperienced strategy person that you're a cheaper one, shall we say, do you think it's better to to go and hire somebody directly into a strategy role or do you think it's better to look for somebody from within an agency for example promote them because they have a fairly broad understanding and a little bit of experience of how the agency works and how the the industry works so do you, do you hire in pure play strategists or do you, do you look for a little bit of base level experience what's the best way to take people in i've had both i'll i'll tell you when i i use either. Like I've had amazing people who've come through straight from college who've just got it. You can see their thinking, but they've always come through an internship program to me. Mm. I'm really just hiring someone flat out of school that have to, I I never did. I actually never did. But where I love to hire people from is usually account management because they've gone the end-to-end process. They understand all the pieces that um, are required. Mm. And so they really understand that part about limited resources. I think a lot of strategists who don't have that understanding of this is actually how advertising gets made and yeah. the finite budget and, you know, you just got to do the TV ad because that's what the client's mm. got in their plan and media's already locked that in. If you don't have that, you're at such a disadvantage and, and just wasting a lot of time of a lot of people. Mm. So a lot of the best planners that I've seen have come through account management. Mm-hmm. Um, they're also naturally attuned to the diplomacy skills. They understand yeah. navigating the politics, they get it. So I yeah. often see those two being where I get people. Yeah, I, I agree. So we're, we're getting near the end. I'm going to let you go soon. Two more questions. Um, what advice would you give somebody? So there's probably a lot of people in agencies, as I say, it's a marketing podcast, an article, a lot of people are probably considering or thinking, a lot of people think, oh, I'd love to work in strategy. And God, I tell people it's not always as good as it seems on, on the outside, from the outside in. But what advice would you give somebody who's thinking about maybe getting into strategy and wants to develop in that area? The first thing is I've got a plan. It's on LinkedIn. It's a six-month plan to transferring into strategy. And the first step that I suggest is there's a book which is from the, um, I guess, the godfather of planning, uh, Stephen King. He wrote it in the 60s. It's the JWT Guide to Planning Strategy. Planning. Oh, and it's yeah, free. yeah, no, yeah. You can Google that. And I think that's a great, it's an hour read and you read that and you can work out, do I want to do this job or not? Mm. If you're still interested in doing it, you need to... Um, Find someone in your strategy department who's going to be what I'm calling your sponsor, who you can go to and show work and they can evaluate it and help you and give you feedback and craft you into a strategist. Mm -hmm. You've got to be proactive. You've got to take work to them. You've got to read and understand discipline. I think that's the very first step to moving over into strategy. Just final thoughts. We've covered quite a lot. Uh, If anyone wants to find out a little bit more about you or the Planning Dirty Academy, where can they go to find information? Where can they sign up for the newsletter? Go to Mm -hmm. planningdirty.com. You'll find all the information on there and uh, all past texts. There's a lot of resources in there as well, free resources that you can check out. 
Yeah, I've checked out lots of them. So yeah, it is great. I strongly advise people, and particularly if you have a little bit of time in your hands, nine, nine, seven dollars is not a lot. Make an investment in yourself. So I'm sorry, Julian, I've kept you long, but it's been over time for you and under time for me because it's eight in the morning here. So we've compromised. So thank you so much for joining me. And I hope you I hope you get to the five cases in Melbourne and you get released back out into the wild. It will be a great day for you. So my thoughts are with you and stay safe. I just want to say thanks to the, our partners, Our Science Media Solutions, and thanks to Kira and Andrea on sound. Until two weeks' time, stay safe. This is Inside Marketing, brought to you by Dentsu Aegis Network and Irish Times Media Solutions. 